0: Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts, Brian Christofferson. That is right. We are video recording our podcast. You can see our faces. If you wanted to watch it, you have that opportunity now. This is what we look like when we talk to each other. Uh, This is what people have clamored for. God only knows why, but this is what they're going to get.
1: Brunch, you shaking your head? This is what we look like. Hope you're happy. I see. Uh, Schaefer wore his uh, best hat for this one too. That's good.
0: <laughs> it's a Super Bowl week. You got to be rocking this hat. If you're not going to wear it now, then when are you ever going to
2: wear it? Company guy, look like at company guy here.
1: Which uh, which Super Bowl was that? Uh, I can't um, get my Roman numer-
2: numerals right.
1: Pretty sure
0: it was last year's Super Bowl. It was uh, Bucks versus Chiefs. Mm. Good one. That's that's. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it was it was televised by by CBS, America's most watched network. Brian, clearly, you weren't
1: watching. I I am a company guy as well, but I I will acknowledge. That hopefully, this doesn't get me canned. I I gave that hat away. It was yeah. a little. It was a little too stiff for me. That's all. Is that a cathedral hat? That thing? It's like the Sistine Chapel
2: on the point of the top of that thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's a very comfortable, very
0: stylish hat uh it's gotten a lot of respect down here in south lincoln as slider and i have gone on walks people have honked they've waved i assume it's
2: about the hat
0: i don't know what else they would be honking or waving at but uh maybe that's just how people are down here extra friendly
2: they like a good cbs hat in south lincoln (laughs) well
0: i mean again who could blame them so we'll uh we'll dive into the Super Bowl a little bit later in today's show, but um, let's just go ahead and, and dive into a topic that we get into every spring. I, I feel like it's one of those things that it starts happening earlier and earlier in a player's career. Um, where you kind of have these conversations where you know a, a guy could be a redshirt sophomore or a redshirt freshman, and it's kind of like, oh man, or they they got to start showing us something? Uh, because there's going to be players coming, coming past them. And so I know we, we sort of refer to them as now or never players. And I, I mean, I think this is kind of a good time to dive into that as we're a few weeks yet out from the spring, but Nebraska has several of these guys on the roster. I asked each of you uh, to, to come up with a name um, and, and we'll sit here and we'll, we'll kind of run through those and we'll, we'll come up with some other ones as well. But as I think about this, the One of the first people that comes to mind for me is a guy in the 2019 class that I know Nebraska was excited to get the commitment when they did. Um, they, he was a, a player that had played in a 3-4 system, was comfortable in a 3-4 system. There was some conversation early in his career that he was having some good practices and and starting to kind of push the issue a little bit. And then these last two years where you've had a senior-laden defensive line, but you've also had guys like Ty Robinson and, and Casey Rogers breakthrough. We've kind of wondered where is Mosei Newsome? So with no Ben Stilley and no Deontre Thomas and a potential for Nebraska to be in a, a four-man look for times, I'm wondering if now isn't when we hear more about Mosai Newsome, uh, a, a guy again in the 2019 class that Eric Shenander went out and brought over from Iowa – um, someone that again they were they were fairly excited about. But he's now what this would be his fourth season in the program, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022. And there's playing time opportunity out there for defensive linemen. So I, I think this is a, a big spring for a Mosai Newsome. Can
1: what what did you guys recall hearing about him over the last couple years? There was uh there was a legitimate buzz from inside the program about him prior to 2020 that season. And so this isn't just a case of it's everybody on the outside talking up a guy without knowing anything. And maybe he's going to be on the radar. There was some coaches and people behind the scenes who thought, you know, even two years ago that he might be able to give them some reps and help out there. So, you know, that part is interesting. Uh, You kind of laid it out. Well, I mean, there's just been a lot of sort of a log jam, maybe in front of him, And maybe that's been part of it. Uh, I guess if you're the optimistic type, the thing you like about uh, his situation is as a fourth year guy in the program, he should be up to date as far as uh, physicality and sort of like having gotten there in the weight room and with conditioning and all that stuff, which sometimes holds guys in the trenches back. But that shouldn't be the case with him at this point. So even though we haven't seen him, you hope that it just all sort of comes together and then it combines with what you would think at this point is a body that's sort of been built up behind the scenes to play in the Big Ten. But we'll see.
0: Yeah, and and if I recall correctly, Nebraska was able to win this commitment over Michigan State. I think Wisconsin was involved to a degree. I don't know how much Iowa was really after Mosai Newsome at the end there in – in the summer of, of 2018 when he committed. Uh, but this is a guy that, again, uh, they, they kind of had some pretty big aspirations for. And so it, the interesting thing is because of the, the COVID season, we say he's in his fourth year in the program. He's technically only going to be a sophomore red shirt. So he could have three years um, to, to be able to play out in front of Nebraska and, or, or to play out here at Nebraska. And so um, I, I'm really curious uh, what what kind of comes of, of Mosai Newsom here this spring, but that's definitely someone I want to hear more about from Mike Dawson, uh, who will once again have eyes back on a guy that uh, initially he was involved a little bit in the recruitment. It was mostly Eric Shenander. Um, but then, you know, Mike Dawson also was expected to be the defensive line coach in 2018. So it's kind of a, a circular way to to get back there. Brunch, you got anything you want to throw in on, on Mosai Newsom?
2: Yeah, I, I think he's a pretty classic, you know, now or never guy. I mean, as, as much as we, were, we heard a little bit about him before the 2020 season, I mean, he was really never, you know, a name that factored all that much last season. I mean, you go back to... I wanted to say Tony Tui, Tony Tuioti said that, you know, there was always a, a kind of a number of guys that he trusted to go in and play. And I, I don't know that Mosai Newsom was ever really in that group. And then you kind of had like the constriction of that group too once you got to the season where you had a lot, uh, you know, a, a small number of guys playing a lot of snaps. So, um, you know, you, you completely flipped that this year where you don't have much returning depth. And, you know, maybe he can give you something, um, you know, a new set of eyes, um, you know, and, and certainly open jobs. So we'll see if he can kind of emerge. But I, I would put him in that group of you know, Jalen Weaver, um, you know, Ruquan Buckley, those kinds of guys that, you know, you you kind of only hear about them if you ask about them, I guess. And, and that's that's kind of where Nebraska needs somebody to emerge from that group of guys. All right. Who uh who's got another name for us here? You ready, Bronze. Alante Brown. Alante Ooh. Brown. That's what it. would you like to add to that? Name? Uh, that's the name. No, I, I so obviously wide receivers, huge point of discussion in the offseason with what they brought in. Mickey Joseph uh kind of energizing that room as well. And it's kind of time for Alante Brown to show that he's worthy of being in that rotation with all these new guys. Um, he's a guy that since he's been on campus has had a heck of a time staying healthy, just bad luck with injuries. I know he's had shoulder problems, uh, but you go back and you watch some games at the end of last season and he was out there in crunch time and, and late in games. And, you know, a, a guy that was a big recruiting win for Nebraska out of Chicago, and just for whatever reason, um, hasn't factored in that rotation yet for Nebraska. So I, I think it's his time. Um, he's a veteran, um, you know, the, 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 the thing I wonder with him, you know, he's a guy that seems to have the the speed that can stretch the field. So maybe there's a role for him, um, in this new Mark Whipple offense of getting a little bit vertical than what Nebraska's done before. But, um, I think he's also a guy too that frankly could benefit from somebody else handling wide receiver rotations. You know the, the 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 divvying up of snaps on that in that group has been a head scratcher for a few years now, and and maybe you know with, with Mickey there and, and kind of taking a hard look at everybody, maybe he benefits from that. But it, it's going to be a crowded room, and and now's the time for him to step up.
1: Yeah, I mean wide receiver to me feels like a spot where they've done a nice job stacking it up pre spring as far as numbers to like, okay, let's, let's let this competition roll now. But I, I do have the feeling and I'm not connecting this to Elante Brown, but with some people in the program, it, it feels like that's a spot where if you're to take a, a, a guess at like, where could you lose a couple guys of the portal, you know, after spring wide receiver is one of them. I just think the numbers are, 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 are pretty high there. So it, it fits exactly into this category for guys like Alante and other players who haven't had it happen yet, that it's that point where, you know, if Kamonte Grimes, Latrell Neville, Sean Hardy, if a few of those guys get in front of a guy who was recruited a year or two before him, you know, that's the old part where a guy looks at and says, okay, this is going to be really tough to climb out of this and work myself onto the field. So that, that that's the case with most of these guys we're talking about. It's where the the guys, a class ahead of you are suddenly like in the conversation, even with you or they've passed you on the highway. And and then there's, it's hard to come back from that.
0: Yeah. I uh, do. We, do we think that it, it helps Elante Brown that Mickey Joseph is now his position coach. I mean, I, I hadn't heard anything. Um, with Matt Lubick and Elante Brown or anything like that, but it's just maybe just a completely fresh start, starting over an opportunity to impress a a new set of eyes, a a new coach involved in that, and and even maybe a slightly different offensive approach. All of this seems like it could help Elante Brown sort of emerge and and, um, reinvigorate some excitement with his name at, at that position. And, of course, at the same time, everybody there is largely new there's not a whole lot of of guys in front of them that just have this institutional knowledge or or have this understanding of what it is and and how things have to be done. So it it does feel like he's in a little bit of a situation where he can maybe take advantage of the changeover of a, of a coach and um, you know, really kind of put his best foot forward with Mickey Joseph and, and, you know, try to to win him over and and try to to fit well with this offense I, I i don't think it's a question of talent i'm not really sure what it's been a question of i mean it just it felt like they sort of went out of their way not to put him on the field at times part of it i wonder if it's because he's a little small i, I think Nebraska has to stop bringing in these receivers and then putting them on the edge. And then getting upset when they don't block as well as their six foot three, two hundred pound wide receivers. Like you, you can't have it both ways sometimes. So um, I, I I do wonder, you know, if that wasn't somewhat of the issue. But there's the talent is definitely there, and this is a guy that's been a good ambassador for the program too. I I think he wants to be successful at Nebraska. He wants to be uh, involved in things here, And, and I don't think attitude has really ever been an issue with Vellante Brown
2: his, he talked one time late in the season, um, on a Monday. And I remember he was talking, just kind of like running through the the list of injuries that he had dealt with. And they were, they were primarily shoulder injuries, which as a a wide receiver, it's a tough injury to kind of deal with. And, you know, for him too, I mean, he I, I think was still relatively new to the wide receiver position as well. Um, so that that was kind of another factor I, I think of you know what what maybe put him behind a little bit. So I, I I think he is a guy that's a case of of probably benefiting from a new set of eyes, like you said. And and I I think he's probably not alone in that wide receiver room either, of, of guys that, you know, were just they were thrown in at odd times in odd situations and just never really seemed like they were completely part of the plan. I mean, you could even say that heck about like Xavier Betts too, uh, with the way some of last year went.
0: All right. Do we, uh, do we want to move on to, to who
1: BC is bringing to the table here? Who's your now or never? All right. I'll say, uh, I'll say Noah Pola Gates. Uh, safety Noah pola Gates, who is a four-star recruit, uh, fourth year in the program now. He's been very active on special teams. He played in all the games last year, so I don't, I don't like to diminish that part. I mean, there is some guys who come in, and just because you aren't uh, necessarily a starter, if you're helping in in that phase of the game, um, that matters. And uh, he's taken a lot of pride in that part. Um, he's another case, sort of like where we were talking with Mosai Newsom, where you have a bunch of veterans in front of them the last two years. And maybe that it's as simple as that. I mean, maybe now is his turn now that Mark Heldis Muke and Deontay Williams have moved on and he goes out and shows it's his job to win. I've seen, we've seen stories like this before where it can happen. And um, Luke Gifford is an example of that. As we talk about all these guys, Luke Gifford had injuries and could not get going uh, during the first part of his Husker career. And I remember he came out one day and told the media, uh, he basically said himself, it's now or never. It's got to happen now. I'm putting this pressure on me. And I think the guys who actually take that sort of challenge and just accept that's the way it is, if I don't do it now, Deshaun Singleton or one of these other guys gets in front of me, um, it is tough, as I said earlier, to to climb out of that. So that's sort of got to be Paula Gates' mindset is that, Obviously, Travis Fisher has stacked up some new guys to make both Noah and Miles Farmer, honestly, win, the, win spots. Deshaun Singleton's a JUCO guy who they don't bring in a guy like that unless they think he could, you know, possibly play right away. I think there's guys that we sometimes list as corners that Travis Fisher might think of still as safeties. A Marquise Buford or somebody like that uh, could enter into that conversation. So I think there's like five or six guys. Isaac Gifford could be a safety still. I know he's the JoJo Jr. kind of guy, but he he's listed as a safety. So there's a lot of competition, uh, but Noah Poligates has as much a shot at, at it as anybody. It's just uh, I think sometimes there's been a question, is he big enough? To, you know, is his size held him back? I, I don't know if that's the case. I think he's a hard hitter, but he needs to have good health and have a very good spring. Bruns, what have you heard on Noah Poligates?
2: Yeah, I think Brian laid it out pretty well. I mean, he he is kind of the – was, you know, one of the guys that was hurt the most by Deontay Williams and Mark Dismuke deciding to come back and play a sixth season. I mean, if, if they hadn't done that, I think he's right there for more playing time in, in the defensive backfield. It's it's going to be an interesting battle back there because I, I'm kind of like Brian where I think that, you know – I I don't know that Miles Farmer had the best end of last season. Um, I, I think he's definitely going to have to win that job. I kind of wonder if, if you know, one of those corners, you know, is going to come out of nowhere and surprise some people um, at that safety spot just because of the way Nebraska recruits defensive backs. They they want guys that can play both. And you know, Marquis Buford was listed as a safety at times last year on the depth chart. I think he's a guy that, you know, that, that everybody in the program's really high on. So as far as Noah Pola Gates is concerned, I mean, I, I think he's shown that he has potential. It's just a matter of being able to get in, get in there and have an opportunity. So, um, you know, the, the I think he, whatever you kind of had that category of, of we're going to talk about now or never, is that was where my my head kind of went first was this is a guy that's been around a long time finally has an opportunity and has to run with it. I mean I I was trying to think even just to digress quickly, who we would have said last year was probably the the poster boy for that. And I I Ramir Johnson, is that fair?
1: Yeah, he would have been on the list.
0: Yep. Uh Caleb Tanner is definitely someone that, you know, this this whole conversation or topic really is is sort of built around. Like, okay, we gotta we wanna see something. You know, can you can you provide it here? Matt Sichterman, certainly, uh taking full advantage of the the opening at, at right guard, winning that job. Um, you know, at one point in time an Austin Allen might have been a guy like this. So um I I am uh I, I do think that there are guys that that have success when they fall into this kind of category and, and into this kind of role. Uh would Noah Polo Gates specifically I always wonder if he's not just a little small uh, to, to be playing safety. I mean, he's he's a little bit undersized relative to, especially when you you put him back there with Farmer. But um, I so that's kind of where my my head goes initially. But this was a guy that was a very highly talented uh, high school recruit, sought after by a lot of people. Nebraska had to wait out um, Alabama, where he had been silently committed and then they sort of took his offer away late and then they kind of had to survive Arizona State and USC and so this was a big recruiting win at one point in time so I, I definitely think there's a little bit of pressure um, from the coaching side of things that we want this this kid to work out I mean you you put in that much effort that much time and you get those wins over those other programs you want that to to be reflected, but you don't want to just hand it to them. And so, um, I I am a little maybe of of the three names for me, probably the most skeptical of of Noah Pola of of this group. Um, but that's just kind of where I come in at, and and I am convinced that they really like Deshaun Singleton because they didn't pursue a whole lot of safety options after him. And so, um, I I really think that he's going to have a great shot at, at taking one of those jobs, but we'll see what Noah Pola Gates is able to do. Is there any other names that you guys were able to uh, to come up with? I, I've got one. It's hard because I think he's in that spot where maybe with with a look at, at four down linemen or maybe you try to bring him in a little bit past rushing specialists. We've heard his name pop up several times. I'd like to see it go from intriguing to, to doing more with it. Jamari Butler. Is someone that uh, I feel like we've heard about. I feel like there's some discussion that he has some pass rushing ability, uh, and it feels like this spring is a good opportunity for him to get some more reps, and and for Nebraska to maybe figure out how they can take advantage of that. Uh, in addition to a loaded room that also has Garrett Nelson, Caleb Tanner, Blaze Gunnerson, um, and and you know if if you're moving out of the the three four look at times then what happens with some of those linebackers. So uh, Jamari Butler is someone else that that came to mind for me. Anybody for you guys, anyone else you can think of?
2: Butler was Butler was one that I thought of. Gunnarson was another too. It seems like there's quite a few guys in that outside linebacker group that perhaps fit into that. I also think people generally are more more quick to write off pass rusher types. Like if if they can't get to the pass rusher right from the get go, then it, it's not going to happen but th- those were a couple that came to mind it, chris hickman i mean is, is kind of the the ultimate now or never guy i don't i don't know that um he kind of rises to the level of the other guys that, that we've already we, talked about though do we kind of know what chris hickman is at this yeah point? i mean that's kind of yeah. what i was thinking it was like yeah it's it's kind of been written a little bit. Um, I don't know. I, I was trying to think of if there was somebody in that running back room that, that would also fit that category. But um, who step? Yeah, I mean, I, I also am not too quick to write off anybody in that group. There's like eight guys.
0: I wasn't sure if you were just not ever going to give him the now. You're just going to say never. With, with <laughs> no. I,
2: I hope he I hope it works for him. He's fun at interviews. He's, um, he's always got a couple of gems.
1: I think, uh, I think on the offensive line, you could probably talk yourself into a few guys on this list just because of sort of with the new coach part, you know, like if, if Donovan Riola analyzes this situation and you're like ninth or 10th on his list after this is all said and done, you know, you got, you got a lot of work to do. Um, and I think, uh, Ethan Piper's a guy I've kind of stood up for, and I will. That and just saying that he's he's still young in the sense of alignment to me. Like he's a, th- I think he's a third year guy, um, and he kind of got thrown into the fire early in his career. And so sometimes we say, "Well, that guy was really inconsistent." We remember every false start penalty. He can't get it done at this level. And I'm not ready to say that about him, but I do think it's a critical juncture in his career. Because of the fact that where's he going to be? Could he be a center in that conversation with the other guys we're talking about? Uh, Is he a guard? And, um, you know, he was a starter last year at this time. And now I don't think we think of him that way. So he's sort of uh, got a real stop sign put up in front of his progress. And now he's got to show a response to that. And uh, he's an interesting player to me. I, I always think those guys who are, like third-year linemen um, are really interesting on either side of the ball. It's just like, you know, people kind of have started to form opinions, and there's a lot of cases where it doesn't happen for a guy till his fourth or fifth year in the trenches. And so you do have to remind yourself of that. Sichterman is a case study of that. You know, he was a guy who you didn't hear at all about for like four years in his career, and he was starting it. At right guard last season, so those stories definitely happen. Yeah,
0: um, Ethan Piper is actually going to be a fourth-year player for Nebraska. Fourth year,
1: so he's I mean new that new. that adds to it, though. I mean, yeah, I would say a third year, but he's to that point where it's like, if if you are beat out by a second-year guy, it it gets pretty tricky. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it it's
0: interesting. A lot of these names: Chris Hickman, Ethan Piper, Mosai Newsom. They're all the 2019 class. You've kind of got like this group of guys like Garrett Nelson and Luke Reimer and Nick Henrich and Ty Robinson that sort of you know even Bryce Benhart fits into this to a degree that have sort of just have kind of their roles now. Benhart, we'll see what it looks like for him, and then you've got a bunch of those guys in 2019 where they're still trying to figure out okay, what is this player? Who is this guy? And so um, that that group that 2019 class if Scott Frost is here for 2023 they need some of those guys to really step up from that 2019 class like it's it's their team really at this point you don't have a lot of 2018 guys left you got a ton of different players coming from the transfer portal but that group of 2019 i mean they're they're the ones that are going to be in the leadership role they're the ones that are going to be in starting spots uh it's it's pretty much their team now Um, And so that's going to be really interesting for me to watch is to see who else kind of emerges from that. All right, let's take a quick time out here for a second. And uh, when we return, we are going to discuss Dwight Boodle, who committed last week. We will talk about Fred Hoiberg and Nebraska basketball. And then uh, we will see if anyone is going to pick Zach Taylor and the Bengals to pull off yet another upset on Sunday against the Rams in the Super Bowl. So real quick break, and we'll be right back. All right, I mentioned this. So 2023 defensive back Dwight Boodle commits to Nebraska. Would have been Monday of last week. We did not get a chance to discuss it when we were running down signing day uh, last Wednesday during the show. Uh, so we'll we'll have an opportunity here. BC, you actually spoke with Dwight Boodle first and foremost. Is he as good of an interview as DiCaprio Boodle became to be over his four year, five year career at Nebraska?
1: Yeah, he's got potential there. Uh, you can tell, you can see the Boodle in him, uh, which I always love talking to DiCaprio ever since DiCaprio was like a freshman in Nebraska. Yep. I love talking to him. He was always a guy who's he, he just had a lot of interesting thoughts and um, you know, was a favorite of Travis Fisher. And I think Dwight Boodle's kind of interesting because he hadn't got the offer publicly from Nebraska until basically right before he committed. And I, you know, you kind of forgot about him. Like as far as around here, there are, he, he was interested in some other big 10 schools. He was even public and sort of saying like he was interested in Wisconsin. If they offered him, that would, that would uh, be something that would be hard to turn down. Michigan did offer him, I believe. Um, so there there's, he definitely had people's attention. He really got Nebraska's attention at a camp last, I think it was last summer, that Florida international camp. And Travis Fisher was there and that's where they connection started to take off beyond just being oh you're the brother to DiCaprio you know like i i that's according to the white so um and i think he also saw frankly this was maybe where NIL comes into play an opportunity because his name is known already in nebraska circles that there could be opportunity with that by going to lincoln because his brother already kind of got that train moving and so that that might have helped nebraska's cause here too
0: Yeah, I I thought the Big Ten component of it was really interesting. Andrew Ivins was telling me um, a couple days before the Boodle news went official uh, that he was basically set on going to a Big Ten school. He views the Big Ten as the best conference to kind of get yourself prepared for the NFL. Um, I don't know if, if that is... I, I'm not sure exactly why that might be the case, but it is a large conference. I mean, you have you're have bigger guys. You have guys that are more likely, um, you know, physical traits of what you're going to see on Sunday than if you're in the Big 12 or or the Pac-12 or, you know, potentially even the ACC. I mean, the SEC and the, the Big Ten produce the most NFL players and, and they have – probably the closest simulation in size so I think that was part of it for Boodle and Ivins was saying that he really likes you know what he's watched I mean he's held his own under the lights down in in one of the most talent rich areas in the country he's played on seven on seven teams and traveled around and played well uh, he can be very aggressive we saw this with with DiCaprio this is a guy you know and and if, if he has that same kind of mindset DiCaprio wasn't scared to come in and and tackle i mean he was an undersized guy playing corner that they used at safety at times because he could provide that for him i mean he just was someone who was really tough and scrappy and if if dwight has that same attitude i I think that he's going to flourish under travis fisher and i think he'll do well in in college and so uh, a nice addition for nebraska it's their third commit in the 2023 class do you guys have a guess at what month did Nebraska have their third commit in the 2022 class? We'll start with Brunts, who looked up and to the left while searching for his answer.
2: Yeah, it's where I usually find it. I think it was it was like July.
0: Nope.
2: Had the season started? <laughs> like it No, it, they had three
0: commits before it, it the season. It felt like
2: it took forever. Um, it did take know, a long time. June or July, probably after that run of official visits in June, I'll say. It was June. Now can you name that person? Number three? Yeah. Is it Chase Androff?
0: Yeah, there you go. Yeah! What do I win? Yeah. All right. Sorry, BC, you didn't get to answer any of this. That's all right. Trivia. We'll we'll go to you next time. I was gonna
1: guess Jaleel Martin. When did he commit? He committed in November. He, he oh yeah, he waited Ohio State. Game. It was the it was the camp where where it's it all clicked for him, but he didn't, you're right. Okay.
0: I want you guys and I want the listeners and the viewers because we have viewers now to take the 2022 class, not the people in it, not what Nebraska got out of it, but how it operated, how it went, the different milestones of it, take all of that, crumple it into a ball, put the ball into a trash bin, take a match throw the match into the trash bin and light it on fire because they will not have another recruiting cycle like that. It was a disaster for a variety of reasons that were out of Nebraska's hands. Uh, And I just, I I think this is going to go much faster in terms of a recruiting cycle, uh, hitting certain benchmarks. I think they're going to take more high school players. Uh, But last year's recruiting cycle was so bizarre. And I, I fully expect 2023 to be more to the norm. Now, those are always famous last words when you put expectations with Nebraska anything right now, but I, I feel pretty good about it. Dwight Boodle is commit number three. I expect Nebraska to have five commits by the time, you know, they're they're basically at the end of March. They're getting ready for that spring game. I mean, I, they're going to have people coming in the first weekend in March um, for a junior day. They're going to have people coming in for practices, Throughout March, I know they're already setting up to have official visits for the spring game in April. They are looking to move fast on this. I think in part because if they can get stuff locked down, you get into the transfer portal season of late November and December, you can put more of your focus there and you can work ahead to 2024. So we'll see how that plays out exactly for Nebraska. But I do not expect a repeat of the 2022 class, especially in terms of how slow everything went. Uh, Brunch, do you have anything you want to say on Dwight Boodle before we move on?
2: No, I think you guys hit it. I I was just writing down all these guarantees. It was, it was a, you said a top ten class. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, I didn't that. Everybody in the boat by August, and nope, something something about five star. Up, I heard. Yeah, I heard, I heard five, five star too. That was multiple that was bold. five
1: stars. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well,
2: From Florida. No uh... less.
0: <laughs> I am more than happy to refund everything people paid for to listen to this uh, this podcast and and watch it on YouTube. So uh, that's that's what I can do if Nebraska doesn't hit those benchmarks. Uh, all right. Do you? We'll we'll leave this up to Brunt. I'll let him pick the direction of the next topic. Baseball starts here in about nine days basketball started like nine months ago and it feels like it's been nine years, which one would you rather discuss first?
2: We could, we could expand on baseball next week a little bit. If you want to Brian, you've, you've been, you've seen it all up close in person. You've been standing there on the sidewalk (laughs) as the cars have been colliding and the, the flaming dumpster has been rolling by in the parade. You want to talk some hoops?
1: We can talk some hoops if the people have the stomach for it. (laughs) We'll be. I don't think I have the stomach for it.
2: Uh, since we last talked, Brian, um, what, what? I guess what? It seemed like things were were, you were building towards something, maybe a win, and then Saturday at noon happened. Um,
1: What the heck happened? Why Northwestern? I'd preface this by saying I don't know exactly when people listen to this, but. Wednesday night they're playing Minnesota and this is previous to that Minnesota's not very good either so maybe maybe that's the one and if it's not you can snicker as I as you listen to it and you you heard me say that I think it could be the one but I don't say that with any confidence hear, lots of guarantees you.
2: today <laughs> Xavier, top time class Brian guaranteeing a Nebraska basketball win over Minnesota
0: can I yeah. ask Brian a question real quickly yeah. As someone who was attending his father's 70th birthday on Saturday, uh, and we forgot that the game started at noon and then turned it on at halftime and then saw the score at halftime and then turned the game off and didn't watch any of the second half, what the hell happened on Saturday? Why? I I guess part of the, from what I understand from people, part of the frustration is they were coming off of some pretty competitive contests Earlier in that week, or really earlier in the last week and a half, and then you get Northwestern at home, and it just
1: it totally cratered. Yeah. What, I,
0: what, what did you see on I, Saturday?
1: I like how much you've distanced yourself from this team. You said, <laughs> as you set that up, you said, from what I understand from people, yeah. this team in the last. I didn't
0: watch any of the game I don't know.
1: <laughs> I mean, like even before There's that, a ticket
2: holder Mike Schaefer here.
0: <laughs> no, that's
2: nothing to do with
0: basketball this year.
2: That's
1: meanwhile uh, I'm
0: going to the game tonight. I'll be there.
1: You, uh, you are actually though a face to it. I think, um, and people can see that face now with the, <laughs> under a Super Bowl cap of what the problem is. There's a lot. You're a, you're a you've been a big time follower of Husker hoops throughout your life, and you've you've cared as much as a, anybody to see them turn a corner. And Saturday was depressing in the fact that it was Alumni Day. So they were. Do, there was some of that going on with guys who had been in the program, and it was an okay crowd for a team that stinks. I don't think there was fifteen thousand there or anything. It, it's been said. It, it was, but by the end of it, there was like a fifth or sixth of the crowd with like eight minutes left. Like a a sixth of the arena was full, and it was literally. And I'm not exaggerating this. I could hear the people in the section over like five rows down discussing what they're going to do next. And they had their mask on. They were, they were, they were uh, following the mask rule and I could still hear it. And they, um, so that, that was where it was. And I felt like there was no competitiveness on the defensive end whatsoever in that game. Like Northwestern came out and shot about 35, three point attempts. And it was because they it was open gym. Like it was a, it felt like you were at the rec center and guys were just, you know, I'm going to get my shots up. Um, That's how it seemed to me. And I know that they tried to make some adjustments defensively. Nebraska did. uh, But it's the. it was the kind of like, I don't know. It was just so sour. Like the taste it gave you of like the effort on the defensive end that that's where people are really frustrated. They just don't feel like, um, especially on that end of the court, um, there's, there's a, there's enough buy-in. And then when they get on the offensive end, um, it becomes when they get panicked and the other team is on the run. And Fred Hoiberg has said as much, they really derail themselves and go into one-on-one basketball. Like, I mean, it's like, okay, your turn, your shot. And, even guys who are having good games will then throw up a, a three-pointer with 28 on the shot clock in a possession sometimes uh, that completely hit, you know, will halt some momentum they may have. So um, it's just – I know Hoiberg's at his wits' end. I know he's as much a competitor as anybody. I don't know where this is leading into next year. We've talked about it before. It's difficult when you look at the guys on the floor and you say – who exactly is coming back? Do I want those guys coming back? And, you know, there's talk of the next recruiting class, but people heard about this recruiting class, which hasn't panned out. So they're not going to get too fired up about you pumping up the 22 group. Yeah, it's, it's,
2: t- I mean, we've talked about it. Like, what, what do you as a fan hold on to for next year and why do you, why do you basically trust that what you were told for this year is going to be true for next year? I mean that that's kind of where they're at, and I, you know, it it's a this particular group is a hard group to root for because of what Brian talked about. You know, not you know defense, rebounding—that's all hustle and effort. And I think Nebraska basketball fans have shown in the past that they're willing to get behind bad teams that play hard. And from the get-go in that northwestern game, I can't remember who it was that had the ball, but just a, a blow-by layup to start the game. And it was just like, oh no. Like this there the you could just tell they weren't in it. And I don't know, like we're what, nine days into February as we record this? I mean, it's gonna be a month of very big picture questions for not only you know This team, but also what this program is going to be going forward, because I mean, you guys, I'm sure have friends that have suffered through a lot of really bad Nebraska basketball, and I had always wondered for years at what point do people say, you know, I think I'm good, you know, I'm going to take a step back. I think we're finally at that point for a lot of people.
0: You're using the the same motion that George Costanza uses when he's out. He makes his good joke and he leaves. (laughs) That's basically what you were doing there. Yeah. So if only Nebraska could be as entertaining. I this might be too strong. Um, and I I almost never find myself as the type of person who gets to this point. But it doesn't matter if it's this year or if he's given another, it's not gonna work. It's just not going to. There's there's no point in my mind other than to save money for Nebraska to bring Fred Hoiberg back because it won't work next year. He's already failed. I I just don't see any way that this could be successful enough next year to come back from. With football, and, and it was hard in football too because three and nine is damning in every possible way, but at least they were in games and at least you sort of could squint and turn your head enough and make up enough arguments or whatever else you had to do. In basketball, it looks like crap. And I self-edited there because I would have used a different word. But apparently with YouTube now, I, I want to oh, be a little really. bit more careful. just mm, uh, Look at me learning on the fly. <laughs> I, I just, there's nothing worth being hopeful for with this team. And I hate being the one to say that. And I thought Fred Hoiberg was going to work. But I still don't know what it is that they can do based on what they've recruited for three years, based on how they've rolled things out there for three years. Is he going to fire his GM and Matt Abdelmassa? Is that going to be an? I just I don't get it. I don't know what, what possibly will work for Nebraska next year if Fred Hoiberg is going to be the coach. And I don't know why anyone would believe that it's going to be any different at this point. And I feel really bad for him because I do believe that he wants this to be successful, but he doesn't have it. He doesn't have the answers. He doesn't have the pieces. He didn't recruit guys that work with whatever it is that he wants to do. And he didn't go get bigs or point guards or things that just seem like givens on a Nebraska basketball roster on a big 10 basketball roster. So as we sit here at the end of, you know, or the middle of February working towards the end of a just disgustingly bad season, It doesn't matter to me if they win any games at this point in time. I just don't see any hope for next year either. So other than the $18 million that, that sit as a buyout, there's really nothing good in this entire situation uh, for anybody. There's nothing good for Fred. There's nothing good for, for Trev Alberts. There's nothing good for Nebraska basketball fans. Like when it comes time for people to renew their tickets They're just supposed to click yes for a program that can't win 10 games, for a program that can't win conference games. This is, I mean, it is just incredibly alarming how bad it got this year. And it wasn't good before. But I I just, I think the patience is gone. My patience is completely gone with it. Like, I I just, yeah, yeah. I've always been one to mask my emotions. No one can ever tell what I'm thinking. But I—I mean, I I just don't know where you come back from this at all. Uh, Ramel Lloyd, Blaze Cada, like these guys—I mean, I was excited about, but there's nothing that's going to be left for them to work with that's here. And then, what incremental progress is enough to to keep this thing going down the road? Like, I, I just at some point, regardless of cost, and I know that's easy for me to say. You just have to, to be done with it, and I think that's where Nebraska is. I, honestly, I, I think the fans deserve better than this, significantly better than this, The and, and I don't think that there's any roadmap back from it, and I never thought that I would be the one saying that,
2: but this is atrocious. You know what fans deserve for the last month? Fear. Turn the taps on. <laughs> if you're going to – if this is how it's going to be, you you just for the last however many home games they have just turn them on, give 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 the people all seven thousand of them that are using their tickets, give them some beer. That's what you got to do. Are they going to do a beer. discount on that beer too? No, the
1: full beer price beer at
2: home. Full price Bud Light for everybody.
1: I'm I'm trying to think of like to. Like say I was the defense attorney who got assigned a tough case, like you're like, like you just got thrown this case. You're like you got to take it on even though it's, you're not gonna look good in the public eye. Um, the only thing I can offer up to that as the rebuttal, and I do understand where when Hoyberg speaks of it, he the timing of which he's trying to build this program. Has come in obviously a weird time in our country in which the first year we all know that the first team he put on the floor that first season was sort of like, I got to put guys out there. They're requiring us to play games. (laughs) We got to have five. (laughs) (laughs) So he did it. That was the first year. And it was the only, I would, I actually talked, have talked myself into like, Well, you know how PJ Fleck used to say the old week year zero thing as a coach. I was like, I kind of get it in this case, what it is talking about. But still, it was, you know, it was a it was a tough thing to sit through. And then year two for Hoiberg was sort of strange with the whole where they played 15 games in 30 days. But it is hard to convince yourself to be the defense attorney with what we're watching this season with got with a team that I think they really believed going into, I mean, you go back to the exhibition game against Colorado and there was a, that was a feel good day over there. Like they move in the ball, guys are hitting shots. It's like, everybody sort of believed what they'd heard. Like this team's knocking down threes all summer. That's the way it's going to be. They can't rebound, but they're going to make up for it. Cause they're going to, and we've talked about it back then. Remember we were like, Oh, this team's going to, They're going to run some good team out of a gym one night uh, cause they can shoot it. We, we said that and you could find those clips. And it's unfortunate that we said that (laughs) I said that, but uh, my only, my biggest defense of it is I do like on paper the class he has. And that last year, the first two years were really muddled sort of because of the circumstances. And that's what, you know, he brings up a lot, but it's a, it's such a frustrating point. I asked him the other day and I would never, I don't know if it was a proper question or not, to be honest with you, but I asked him if he was starting to get into the conversations basically with guys about what's happening next year. And that's a tough thing to ask a a weird thing. Maybe not even the right thing. I don't know to ask a coach with eight games to play, but I think it comes into the equation now because let's be honest like what's the map you got to show this fan base and trev albert's a map of this is what we're going to do differently you or whatever well there okay. might not be but yeah. that's what that's what he's got to i think you almost have to get into these discussions that we would consider premature most times about like is this guy leaving or not um you know we wait till the end of the season well in some ways you got to start knowing now like who. You know, who is who is coming back, and how do they fit with what you want? And I don't know what's going to happen. I'm 50-50 on what's going to happen right now. As, yeah. far, as far as, like, you know, who's running this team next year. No doubt about it. All right, uh, let's finish up
0: with this. Zach Taylor, former Nebraska quarterback, coaching in a Super Bowl on Sunday. Cincinnati Bengals take on the Los Angeles Rams give me your game prediction and then your favorite Zach Taylor memory. If you have, one. we'll start with Bruns cause he just frowned. Uh,
2: I think, I think America's story continues and I think the Bengals win by four. Um, I'll say 29
0: to 25. All right. Do you have a Zach Taylor memory?
2: I have many. Um, my favorite one though was probably um, the high point, I would say, of the 2005 football season, which was when order was restored at Folsom Field. Um, I remember Zach Taylor very proudly wearing that restore the order shirt in post game interviews. And I, I guess it, it, it's still that way at Colorado now, but it used to be that the hallway to get back to the visitors' locker room was so tight that they had to do all the post-game interviews like out on the field. Like, they took guys back down there. And it was like pitch – it was dark, and they turned off a lot of the lights. And just Zach Taylor just being thrilled about the way they had played because if you remember, that was actually a pretty big upset um, for for the way that season had gone. But that 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 – memory will always be seared in my mind no matter how many Super Bowls Zach Taylor wins is that the order was restored in November 2005
1: and don't forget it all right BC I think the Rams are gonna win <clears throat> I don't really want that Kevin
0: O'Connell homer aren't you
1: yeah although I would like to yeah I would like to see Kevin O'Connell's that offense per a little bit he doesn't call the plays but um the Rams don't the Rams remind you of the bucks last year. I, I say that in the fact that they've got sort of this roster built up of like guys who have kind of been around it. Like these, some of these veteran key guys and they sort you sort of think they know how to get it done now. Like they're, they they were not I don't think these are the two best teams in the NFL this year that are playing. And, uh, but I do think the Rams sort of had the bracket set up right for them and they got sort of this cagey bunch of guys, and I think they'll they're gonna win kind of I think it's gonna be kind of a boring game. Um Rams 27 to 16. My favorite Zach Taylor memory is probably the win over AM um when he drove them down uh on the last drive. And there was a fourth down pass. It wasn't our man Peterson who caught it, was it? Was he on that team? Todd Peterson. You know what I'm talking about. They had like a 4th and yeah. 10 early in that series and he he kind of had to scramble to his right and he made a pretty Wasn't that also wasn't that also the late hit was on that 4th down too and so
2: it all just kind of helped push the ball further down the field.
1: They had a I, late I, hit. Are you, are you not
2: are you not remembering this on purpose as a way to needle Todd Peterson? No. No, no. Oh, I, Although, the way you said it, it was like you knew the answer, but you were you weren't going to say what it actually was, just because you know he li- he listens and would
1: be really pissed. No, well,
0: you see, we actually have Todd Peterson backstage. <laughs> we're going to bring him out right
1: now. <laughs> he pops up his little. <laughs> no, he wouldn't fit in the camera because he's six four. He'd be too tall for oh, it. No. But uh, I don't know if it was Todd who caught it. But somebody caught a fourth down pass, which was a beautiful throw on the run by Zach Taylor. I think the late hit came later on uh, when they got down in the red zone and gave them a fresh set and they then the purified touchdown happened. I also remember Dan Erickson was a wide receiver on that team, sort of a walk-on guy. And he popped up for like a critical catch on that drive. And I remember my buddy was next to me. I wasn't covering him that year. And we were like, Dan Erickson. That was pretty interesting. But um that was that was probably the best moment of the Callahan era. Yeah. That that comeback.
0: Uh, that 2016 team is one of my favorite like random Nebraska teams. I was a freshman in college, I was at South Dakota State and I made it down for a few games, would watch him up in Brookings at Cubbies, the Nebraska bar up in Brookings, South Dakota. Uh I really like that team. The the Texas A&M game definitely stands out um, on that comeback. I I always just thought Zach Taylor was tough as hell. Like I I felt like he just had the crap beat out of him every game, and he just kept getting maybe more so in 2005 uh, than, than 2006. But it just felt like he was just tough and was constantly, uh, you know, someone was pulling like a chunk of grass out of his helmet kind of thing because he had just gotten beaten down again. And so I had always a lot of respect for him. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited for him. Uh, I, I feel like at this point, I have lost so much money in my life betting against Joe Burrow that I can't in good faith do it on Sunday which means if I take the Bengals the Rams are going to win but if I take the Rams then the Bengals will win and it will be more lost money to Joe Burrow who destroyed me in the college football playoff each week here in the NFL playoff uh I can't get away from him so uh I'm going to I'm going to say the Bengals win I'm going to say engineers uh, a game winning drive um they, they move down the field they're able to score late on like a T Higgins uh Dwight Clark esque catch in the background and uh the Bengals win their first Super Bowl title this weekend and Chris Whitney the only Bengals fan any of us knows very
2: excited so uh hopefully that gets to happen you, for were you them. guys uh it was the fourth and three for 22 yards right yes. Who yeah, that it. that that was a a completion to Todd Peterson.
1: Oh, Todd! <laughs> Look at that,
0: TP.
2: Uh, I really yeah. wish we had him
0: backstage right now. <laughs> if we could have dropped that
1: on BC. That would have been great.
2: He had uh, seven catches for eighty-two yards and a
1: touchdown that day. So don't. Todd forget was that good. Either. Todd was a good player. I'm not just saying buttering him up. He was like legit. Like you take that guy on your team. Big plays and big moments. That's all I got that I think your I like your Bengals pick, though, because that's going to light a fire under uh, look, Kevin O'Connell. Stop short of that Super Bowl ring. He's going to head to Minnesota on a mission.
0: Well, uh, I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> uh, if he wins his first Super Bowl as the head coach with the Vikings, I'd be OK with that. Uh, you know, I'm sure I'm sure you'd be good with that, too. All right. um, I, That should do it for us. This is our our first ever uh, video podcast we're going to be doing this with regularity moving forward. I promise I won't give an impassioned speech about Nebraska basketball each time. We'll find better ways to use our time, I'm sure. Uh Bronx says baseball next week. We're going to be we're going to be chatting up uh about Nebraska baseball. They'll have their first game that's coming up in 9 days. Do we even know what a, a weekend rotation might look like? Brunson'll probably have that answer for us in a week.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I would say that Kyle Perry and and Shea Shaneman will be part of it. They got they got four games that opening weekend, so it's always a, well, four games, one of which is a seven inning part of a doubleheader, which I, I digress. But
0: I, I am going to to show up next week with a very specific set of questions for you, and we'll we'll double back at the end of the year, and we'll see how you do on a variety of over unders and and other things. So. Uh, already excited for this. Look forward to it. <laughs> so much enthusiasm. He <laughs> just can't wait, folks. He loves he loves his job. No one loves their job as much as Michael Brunt's. That's you can stupid. tell with his enthusiasm.
2: Yes. Except excited no about. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, you can catch that enthusiasm every week on the Husker 24/7 podcast. You can find it in written form at husker247.com. Plenty of articles going up. We're running through the 2022 class, setting up 2023, BC, checking in with with guys of note, people you shouldn't forget about as we Hey, get what into about the- this guy? Yeah. He's written about several of them. Braxton
1: Clark was yesterday. Do you have do you have a preview who's coming up, who's next? Uh Xavier Betts should be on the site by the time uh this pops up, so it will be that. And I don't know. We'll keep going. Just guys, uh, I mean, it's not you didn't forget about Xavier Betts, but guys are going to be right in the center of the too deep conversation and, and spring storylines, basically.
0: I can think of some message board posters that would accuse a former Nebraska wide receivers coach of forgetting about Xavier Betts. So oh, okay.
1: uh, you know, so there's there's always
0: that. All right. We will uh catch you next time with the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer for Brian Christofferson, Michael Bruns. We'll see you next week.